that said, so we're in this series, um, The Seven Challenges of the Church. Um, and um, it's, we're going through the book of Revelation, no S. Uh, there's only one revelation with lots of details. So, Dennis, did you show a picture of that map? Ta-da. All right, so if you look at this map here, you'll see the seven churches. Now, this is what we call Turkey today, but you can see Ephesus, Sardis, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then that little island that's down to the southwest of Ephesus is Patmos, where John was exiled when he got the vision for the uh, book of Revelation. All right, so just to put it in context, that's where um, things are happening. And so you can see there's kind of this big circle um, of churches that are being addressed. And so the, um, the first week, we talked about the challenge at Ephesus, right? Um, and Dan, let us do that, um, that uh, message, forgetting uh, why we do what we do. And we saw that we could know our theology, we can know the Bible, we can you know, know our beliefs and make no difference in the world. Um, and that we forget that what we should be doing is loving people, loving Jesus, and do what we are required to do in the world, um, and that is to teach the message of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have to have that truth planted in our minds, but that message planted in our hearts, right? And that message, of course, is that Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus won. Um, and showing love to others uh, will do more for um, leading people to Christ in any well-crafted evangelistic program. And I can remember going through the church, we had all sorts of evangelical, remember the Roman Road and um, the um, um, evangelism explosion and all these different ways that we would lead people to confession, right? But the reality is it's the Holy Spirit that changes their heart. So we can show what it means to be Christian by our love. Um, the second way we talked to the challenge at Smyrna, suffering to do the right thing. Um, and here we talked about that you have to take up your cross daily. There are things in our life that we like to do or things that we think um, that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and so daily we have to um, seek out these things that are not pleasing to God and um, fix them. And I, I liken a lot to the idea, um, if, you, if you think of when um, Michelangelo carved out the statue of David, you know, he started with this giant block of granite and started knocking off all these big chunks. And when we're new believers, it, we're a lot like that, right? We have these big chunks that have to get knocked off. But as we get closer and closer, um, he starts working on the details. And um, we don't always like God working on the details. He'll be like, well, Eric, we need to work on this today. Oh, I'm kind of fond of that sin. Can I keep that for a bit longer? Um, he's like, no, this is the one we're going to work on. And so, um, and, and we have to be willing to that. And the other side we have to recognize is that we have an oppressor on the outside, right? Satan um, is real, and he works to make us ineffectual. Um, if he can't turn us away, he just wants to make us ineffectual. So we don't make a difference in the world. Um, and um, we see people outside of the faith that seem to be doing really well, you know, that misbehaving is good for you. Um, but we have to recognize that our journey here will be difficult. Um, 
Um, but our reward is in heaven, not here. Remember, we're just sojourners. We're just going through this world for a, what, a short period of time. I know some of us older folks, things like it, it's a long time. But once we get there, it'll seem like no time at all. Um, so the, um, again, our reward is in heaven and we can expect it. In the third week, we talked to the challenge at Pergamum, behaving like the world. Now recall Dan shared a study where he indicated that only 9% of people who claimed to be Christian actually held a Christian worldview. And what he meant by that is only 61% of, of Christians believe that God created everything and is still in charge. That's scary. Um, 61% uh, or 72% that people are basically good. They apparently have never raised children. Um, I mean, anyone here have to teach your kids how to misbehave and lie? No, mine seem to know it from the beginning. Uh, so yeah, I don't know where they get this idea that everybody is naturally good. In fact, my wife was over at our grandkids, great-grandkids house because my, my granddaughter was having such a hard time. So it was like, okay, call in the boss. We'll take care of things. And so... We've raised a lot of kids. We used to do foster care, so we've raised 30, 40 kids, and so we're very good at cracking down. Uh, <laughs> 66 believe that having faith is more important than what your faith is in. That's really scary, right? That's what Hindus believe. As long as you're faithful, you're good. doesn't matter which God you support, right? Not so. Um, and we're tempted by these pressures from outside the church to behave like the world and conform to the values of the world. Um, and we're not supposed to do that, right? We have to live by biblical standards, not earthly ones, and that's hard to do. Well, today we're going to look at the challenge of Thyatira. Um, and when we read through these verses, it's going to sound like Thyatira is a lot like Pergamum. Um, but they are similar but different. Both are dealing with immorality and idol worship, and both deal with spiritual adultery, um, which God's people are often guilty of. And in biblical terms, if you remember, many times in the Old Testament, the true God is referenced as Israel's husband, but the false gods are referenced as Israel's lovers. And effectually, that by following the world, we're adulterous to the truth of God. It's a pretty powerful statement, right? And yet that's the challenge that we are having. Um, and you can read about that in detail in, in the, the third chapter of Jeremiah, the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, and the second chapter of Hosea. Hosea is an amazing book. I mean, it is, um, yeah, very convicting. Um, now, as we go through the uh, churches here in Revelation, we'll find that for six of the seven, God has good things to say about the church. Um, and, and so it is here with Pergamum and Thyatira. They have good things to say. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's, it's all Greek to me. The, um, the <laughs> there are um, a few significant differences, though, between these two churches, right? Pergamum be believers are credited up with holding up against suffering, while here Thyatira has growth and vigor. They're doing well. And against the, the background of being beleaguered Christians, as we see in Pergamum, Satan is using the pressure of the world to attempt to mold them into something other than what God wants them to be. 
all right? Now, on the other hand, here in um, Thyatira, the church is strong and growing. And so God knows the best way to go after them is to plant the problem in the church, to create the issue in the church. Um, so we start with the text here in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like the flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze say this, I know your deeds and love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than the first. Boy, it sounds good, right? I'd like to have God say that about us. That's great. That sounds really good. Um, and, and the sentencing here is really kind of neat because, you know, we talk about the Son of God that has eyes like the flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Um, and so the, the, um, that term... Uh, about this flame of fire. If you look at the references elsewhere in Scripture, um, it talks about the refiner's fire, the idea of purifying something, right? Um, and then you follow that with that word burnished bronze. Well, that term in the Greek only shows up one other place in Scripture and also in Revelation. And what it means as best translated, is a highly refined metal, right? And if we think about it, right, Jesus Christ is the perfectly refined metal. He is perfectly pure. And his goal in us is to use that refiner's fire to remove the parts of us that aren't his, right? Um, it's really a cool picture. Um, in fact, if, if you go to, um, we won't, but you can, um, the third chapter of Malachi, verse 2, it actually talks about what is, it's sort of one of those messianic prophecies that's talking about the coming of Jesus, and he's described as the refiner's fire or the launderer's soap. When I was growing up, my mom had this huge block of soap that her mother in France would send to her because she couldn't find it in the States, and it would get anything out of anything. I mean, it was amazing soap. It wasn't good for your hands, but it was really good for getting stuff out of stuff. I mean, it was the launderer's soap. It cleaned up anything. Um, and uh, I remember, because my, my grandmother used to mail it to my mom, um, and we would get this stuff. And so that's the idea here, that Jesus is coming to purify um, and to separate the gold from the dross, you know, to make us what we are supposed to be in God. Um, which isn't always a pleasant experience. Now, the church is praised for its love um, and its faith, as well as its service and perseverance, you know, so it's got to be feeling pretty good. In fact, it's getting better and better every day, right? Uh, but then that word that kind of puts uh, all the nice things on the back burner show up, right? But. <laughs> I love it when someone says something and then they say, but which means you can ignore everything they just said because they're going to tell you something else. I prefer yet. Sounds nicer than but. Um, anyway, we go on. Verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, if you recall, 
In the Old Testament, there was a Jezebel. Um, and like Balaam, um, was an example of an outsider who seduced God's people, God's bride, into unfaithfulness. Balaam, as you recall, uh, what, God, uh, that, what Dan had mentioned previously, had led God's people into unfaithfulness by encouraging them to marry non-Jewish people. Um, and um, they're going to intermarry with the local Amorites, um, and therefore God's people were put in a situation where they had to try to please God and then try to please their non-Jewish spouses. Hard to do. I always feel bad for Solomon. Can you imagine? 500 wives and 700 concubines. Golly, Ned. <laughs> Good luck. Glad to keep one happy is tough enough. Um, all right, so we continue. Uh, Jezebel, on the other hand, worked internally against God's people. So we'll read here in 1 Kings 16, verses 30 32. We talk about Ahab, who was one of the kings of Israel. So Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel before him. So we see that, that Ahab marries Jezebel, and Jezebel now is working inside the church to pull the people away from God and to worship these other so-called gods, Baal and, and the share pools and all that sort of stuff. Um, and with Baal worship, there is they commit sexual immorality and all sorts of other evils. Um, and that's what we're seeing is a similar situation that's occurring in Thyatira. Now, one of my favorite sections of scripture in 1 Kings um, 18, Isaiah shows up and does this battle with uh, the Baal prophets, right? Where he throws everything on, you know, they try to start this thing on fire, and he's taunting them, you know, oh, where's your God? I guess he had to go use the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep, and one of my favorite parts. And then, of course, Isaiah throws all this water on top of it and all that kind of stuff, and then God consumes it all, consumes the other one, and then the 140 priests that have been hidden away by Obadiah comes out and slaughters all the prophets of Baal. <laughs> Go team, right? That's one of my favorite parts. I love that part. The, um, not the slaughtering of people, but the truth comes back. I don't, I don't want to sound. But anyway, so anyway, it's a great story. The point is the same as we're seeing here in um, Thyatira. You can't tolerate lies in the church. Um, you have to hold to the truth. Um, because these lies will lead believers to sin. Um, and the difference was that in, in Pergamum, the Israelites were living along with the ungodly, right? So they were being affected by that. But in Thyatira, the ungodly are in the church. Dangerous, dangerous thing. Um, so in Revelations 2.20, we're told that a woman named Jezebel was being treated as a prophetess 
teaching and leading within the church and whose, leading, whose teachings were leading people astray um, and away from God's truth. In this case, it was sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, if you remember in 1 Corinthians, they talk about food sacrificed to idols. And the key there wasn't the food, but that the food was leading other people to think that because it was sacrificed to idols, that somehow it had some special characteristic. Right, which of course it didn't. So it's sort of like if those people in your house don't serve food sacrificed to idols, because while it doesn't mean anything to that person, it may. You know, it's it's sort of like, oh, we won't go there. Um, I tend to get down rabbit holes. Um, but anyway, so here we're talking about human um, sexuality, and now there's going to be people that disagree with me. I'm sure there's quite a few, in fact. But I think that God's word about human sexuality is extremely clear. Um, and it's quite contrary to what we hear in the world today. Um, so I believe that the uh, Bible states clearly um, that for God's people, marriage is only between a man and a woman. Um, and that only within that marriage relationship can one find the ultimate expression of sexual love that promotes flourishing of an intimate relationship between a man and a woman. I think it's intended that to be the only place that it occurs. Um, and I know talking to young people today where they're bombarded with this stuff, they would have to realize, and they, that's not what the world teaches, but if you hold yourself pure for marriage, then you put yourself in a situation where you're not comparing and you're not looking at the differences, where if, if you've been sexually active, now you have this situation where when you finally do get married, you are in situations when you compare that leads to dissatisfaction. Often we're told that, why should I prevent myself from doing the things I want to do? God is preventing me. No, he isn't. If you do it God's way, he's blessing you. You will have a better relationship if you do it God's way. And that's true of all things. Right, but that is not the message of the world today. Um, additionally, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that God crafts every human being in the womb exactly as they're supposed to be, and that he doesn't make any mistakes. Now, therefore, any other expression of our sexuality is contrary to God's word. Now, that includes, and I'm going to give you a laundry list, and I'll explain why here in a minute. Lesbian, gay, transvesticism, transgenderism, adultery, premarital sex, sexual abuse, sexual assault, pornography. The list goes on and on and on. Um, now, I'm on a committee established by the Brethren National Conference to redo the document that we have on social justice issues. Um, and trust me, it has been a very interesting task. Uh, the last time the book was, uh, or it's not, well, it's called a mini book, I guess, but the last time it was updated was 2016. A lot has changed since 2016. Um, and so two weeks ago, we started working on the chapter on sexuality. And back in 2016, when it was first written, there was only two topics. Covenant marriage, homosexuality. Only two topics that were covered. Well, we held about breakout sessions during the last year's national conference and asked people, what else should we cover? 
That's where that list came from. We're supposed to address every one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Right? And there are, there are biblical verses that address every one of those issues. But then we would have like a volume, not a book, not a little pamphlet. So, indeed, um, the easiest way to, in fact, today, that term homosexuality is rarely even used today. Right? All these different levels of it, I guess, um, are broken out. So, the, we, we determined that it's just too difficult to address every single issue. And even if we did, that list is going to change. There'll be some new thing on the list, right? And so we looked at, it's probably easier for us just to address the truth. Just to state what God states is his definition of proper sexuality. So then you can just look at it and go, oh, am I doing this? Yes or no? And if I'm not, then you're not following God's guidance on sexuality. Seems like a lot easier, right? It's sort of the same way that the Secret Service determines counterfeit money. They don't study counterfeit money. They study real money. And they know real money so well that when counterfeit money shows up, they instantly recognize the difference because they know it so well. And that's where we're supposed to be. That's how it is with God's truth. We should know God's truth so well then when someone suggests something, sexual immorality or otherwise, that contradicts God's word, we should immediately know that doesn't fit. That is not what God's word says. So how do we know God's word? Guess what? We read it. Sounds pretty simple, but that's how we do it. And as brethren, we believe that God's truth comes from the Word and the Spirit. God's Word and God's Spirit will guide you to the truth. Um, and we're required to know it. We read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will achieve success. Now, I was surprised a few years ago when I saw a study that suggested that 8% of people who call themselves Christian read the Bible. Oh, my God. That's like calling yourself a cook and never reading a recipe. You know? If you... I know that doesn't apply to this group, but if you don't read the Bible, then you're not going to know what's in it. And if you don't know what's in it, then you won't know the truth. And if you don't know the truth, then it's going to be really easy for you to go in the wrong direction. Now, personally, it's my goal. I read the Bible cover to cover at least every two years. It takes me about 20 minutes a day to do that. I'm not a fast reader. And I change revisions. I read different versions because each has its own way of addressing Scripture. And since I don't speak Hebrew or Greek, I have to read English. So I'm going to read multiple ones. And I read different styles. Like right now I'm reading a chronological Bible 
uh, of the NIV. And what I mean by chronological is that instead of it being in the chapters and structure that we see in most Bibles, this one is from the beginning of time moving forward. So everything's inserted in the date. So it's not unusual to have Genesis and Chronicles and Kings in order, right? Or Job right in the middle of Genesis because Job was one of the first books written. And it's great because it gives you a totally different perspective, especially when you're going through the histories. Now, if you have never read the Bible cover to cover, let me give you a couple of warnings. First of all, do not start in Genesis, right? Because you'll get to Genesis and Exodus and you'll die off in Numbers and Leviticus. That's just the reality of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I struggle going through it. I, I'm, I'm like, I see the book, I'm going, here it comes. Get up for it, you know. Um, I start, I really, I recommend if you've never done it before, start in John. Then go back to Matthew. Then read the rest of the New Testament. Then take on Genesis, right? Because you'll get that pattern, that, all right, you're sort of like exercising, right? You don't start off with a two-hour workout at the gym unless you really want a painful day the next day. No, you start easy. You know, you like lift your coffee all the way up, you know. You can, yeah, I'm not real big on exercising, you know. I, I used to go to the gym, but they moved the treadmill upstairs, and it just wasn't working. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we gave our treadmill to our daughter because we, we needed more space to hang clothes on. Um, all right, anyway, we go on. So, if you're relying on Dan or myself or Justin or Wheezy to bring to you all the truth you know, you're in trouble, right? Because you're not going to get everything you need to know in an hour every Sunday. It's not going to happen. And we're human. We can be wrong. I know it's scary to some of you, but it's true. We can be wrong. And you won't know it unless you read. Dan says that. Trust but verify. Know what we teach is being right. Um, and if you, if you think we have it wrong, challenge us. We're all for it. In fact, I love a good conversation. Um, now, I can tell you that we do our absolute best to teach what we believe the Word says. I think that as I read Scripture, there is greater penalty on those who teach than those who listen. And if we deceive you intentionally, it's not going to go well for us. Um, but it's still up to you to read and know the word. You know, the Bible is there to guide you in all things. One of my favorite, um, and, and when I say all things, I'm not saying it's going to let you pick a Toyota versus Honda. It's not what I'm talking about, but it will provide you with principles of how you live your life. One of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy, verses 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. Right? The Bible is the training book. It's interesting, there was, many years ago, there was a um, place that they would send boys that were juvenile delinquents to, and they used the Bible as the instruction manual. It was state-run, so they couldn't say spiritually to anything. But it's like, no, this is just an, a good instruction manual. This tells you how you should live your life. Um, obviously, it works a lot better if God's connected to it, but it does. It's, it's a great book. I hope you know that. Um, and that way, when something is proposed within the body that's contrary to God's word, 
you should immediately notice them. Um, and today there are many false prophets in the church. And it's our responsibility to test what they say against the truth and respond accordingly. And this applies not only to issues of human sexuality, but to all sorts of issues that we see confronting the church today. Um, and we're seeing this process play out in many denominations right now. There's a number of denominations that have split over how they understand the truth of Scripture. Um, so it's causing a lot um, of, of uproar in the church, which is exactly what Satan wants. Um, so before I move on, I want to make, again, one point crystal clear. The reason you must know the truth is to protect you from the lies of the world and the lies of the false prophets. Um, and if you don't know the truth, then it's more likely you'll believe a lie. That lie came from the outside in Pergamum and it came from inside the church in Thyatira. Now, one thing else I wanna make really clear, the purpose of knowing the truth is not to beat unbelievers over the head with it. I remember um, when I used to teach at the U of A, there was this guy who used to sit on the mall and scream and yell at guys and girls thumping the Bible. And I asked him, what are you doing? Oh, you know, I've got to say, no, no, no. You are driving more people away from Christ than anything the world is doing. People who don't believe as we believe in Jesus Christ don't believe this is the truth. So to argue with them that this is the truth and they should believe it is pointless. It really is. You know, to do so just pushes them away. Our responsibility is first to share the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel message and allow the Holy Spirit to work in that person's life. And if they come to know Jesus Christ as we do, then it's the Holy Spirit will move them to know the truth. And we'll, as a church, we're responsible for discipleship and that process of guiding people. But we're not the one who lead people to Christ. The Holy Spirit is. We carry the message of Jesus Christ to the world. We show the love of Jesus Christ to the world, but we don't beat them to death with what we understand to be the truth. So I hope everybody understands that. And I'll be the first to admit, I love a good argument, but I don't argue this anymore with people that don't know and don't hold the Bible. And I make it clear to people that oh, I understand your opinion. I am Christian. I hold the Bible as a source of truth, so more than likely we won't agree. Um, and internally, when someone gives me, you know, they say, well, I believe X. I think it's important that we are to share the truth in love. The one phrase that I always like to use is, well, that's an interesting perspective. Where in God's word does it say that? I always like this. Well, I know it's in there. Where? Um, I remember I was... I spent, as many of you know, a lot of time in a hospital. It's sort of my mission field. And the, uh, I had this guy, well, I just believe a loving God. And he came up with this totally off-the-wall thing. And I said, really? Well, where does it say that? It doesn't. So it isn't true. All right. He continued. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness 
and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with the plague, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I'll give to each of you according to your deeds. Ow. Right? God makes it clear of how he feels about those that so lies within the church and how he intends to deal with them. He knows our minds and our hearts. There is nothing you can think that he doesn't know you thought. That's pretty scary. Um, where you find that continuous repentance. Lord, I'm sorry I said that about the guy who just cut me off in traffic. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, you got to be careful what you put in your bumper stickers because, you know, some of us are pretty bad driving or bad testimonies. Um, I hate driving, just so you know. Um, anyway, um, now Thyatira had the temple of the sun god, Apollo. Um, and, but in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, we read about the Son of Man. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now compared to the Son of Man, Apollo is but a flickering candle. And here the body of Christ is working in Thyatira and shining the sun, the true sun, into the city. And the light of Jesus Christ allows us to see the truth and the lies clearly so we can choose which to follow. The light of the sun brings out things that are hidden in darkness and makes everything clear. And we know that those who do not follow Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will not be allowed into heaven, but worse to those that lie about the truth in the church. Here he, those who do not repent, he threatens with suffering and death, certainly in a spiritual sense, um, but also possibly in a physical sense. Because most of the time, not only do sins affect us spiritually, but they affect us physically. And whoever teaches light of the church face judgment both temporally and eternally. Um, and the penalty extends even greater to those who teach lies to children. Those who children have yet to be able to read the scriptures. Right? Matthew 18 verse 6 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Yeah, I'd be really careful what you teach kids. Um, and yet today we have all these lies that are being told to kids. Um, my grandkids, I hear from it all the time about stuff they hear at school. It's like, no, you're okay. God made you just the way you're supposed to be. So we should know the truth, be a guard against lies, and test those things that are taught to us regardless of the source. And the great part is, if we stumble, God will forgive us, as long as we repent of that. When Don and I were in the Philippines, we were attending a church, and, and um, like most churches at one point, it blew up, um, and um, the usual reasons, interpersonal things. It was interesting, we had a third Southern Baptist, a third Pentecostal, and a third Presbyterian. Wasn't a good mix. 
Well, we decided, well, we would do mail-order church because uh, there was no internet back then. This was well before the internet. So we started doing this online church called the Worldwide Church of God. Well, guess what? It was not a church of God. Um, it was a cult. But we only knew that because we started to look at what it taught and what we read in Scripture. It didn't match. We knew Scripture was right, so we stopped attending. It turns out later we found out it was called Armstrongism. And anyway, finally we found a good church. And, but we really have to be on guard because the lies of the devil are clever. Um, they're not going to be so obvious. They're going to be subtle. Um, and that's how he works. But the key is God's going to hold us accountable. Now, the message to Thyatira is not all bad news. Um, there's good news about those that know the truth and stand for it. So we read in Revelation 2, verses 24 to 29, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes, the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of potter are shattered. As I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there's a great promise in these last verses. Um, there are those in the church who have not been deceived by the lies of Jezebel. And if those people continue as they have and rid the body of these false teachers, then it will continue to be a successful missionary church, which they were becoming. Um, the promise is that they do what they are doing faithfully till Jesus returns, they will have great benefit. Now, verse 27 is an adaptation, a Greek adaptation of Psalm 2.9. But the wording here, in effect, is a, a double preaching of the gospel. So Psalm 2, verses 4 to 9, it says, He who sits in the heavens laugh, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have fathered you. Ask of it of me, and I will certainly give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. So Christ has given authority all nations in this messianic prophecy that shows up in Psalm 2, but he gives it to the churches here in verse 27. Um, we have the authority to proclaim the truth in the world. In fact, we're commanded to. And in Psalm 2, it makes it clear what's going to happen to the rest of those who do not believe, right? That's where the rod of iron and the being shattered like pieces of pottery come from. And that's the case whether non-believers believe that or not. That's still going to happen. Um, those who reject the truth will perish, and those who accept the truth will live. What's more is that to the church as a faithful gospel lamp to the darkness, 
We shine our light in the darkness before the dawn. But we are promised that he himself, the morning star, will rise up and bring eternal daylight. Darkness will go away. Again, darkness is merely the absence of light. Darkness cannot push light away. Quite the opposite. And so we have that promise that at the end time when Jesus comes, that eternal sun will shine and remove all darkness. And absolutely, that is a wonderful promise. There will never be darkness again, but the lawless ones will be in eternal darkness. Matthew 13, verses 41 through 43 says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. What a wonderful promise. Standing firm in the truth is not easy, but it's simple. Just like I tell people, it's really digging a swimming pool with a pick and a shovel is simple. Not easy, but it's simple. Well, knowing the truth is simple as well. You have to read it. You have to work with the Holy Spirit to understand it, to make sure it's written on your hearts so you recognize it, that you know it. So when you hear things from the outside, you know that they're that. They're not of God. And then you have to have stand firm to the truth. And that today is very difficult to do. Like I said, when I get people that tell me some odd thing, I'll say, well, that's an interesting perspective. I'll have to think about it. Gets you out of an argument. Um, if you just stop and don't say, I'll have to think about it, then they'll continue talking. <laughs> All right. Hold fast to the word and listen to the Spirit. Lord, we're so grateful that you give us this guide for life. Um, it's a Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. You give us what we need to know to live a light that is righteous and that is before you what you want us to do and to live in a world where we serve you and we share this message. So Lord, we just are so grateful that you've given us this word. We're so grateful that you've given us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us. Um, and we pray, Lord, that all of us, that you place this yearning to know your word, um, this desire to have it on our hearts so that we know it when those challenges come up in our life.